Hey there, my name's Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you find and define your own answer to this question. On the 36th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Susie Orbach. Susie is an acclaimed psychoanalyst, psychotherapist, prolific writer, best-selling author, and social critic. She is also the co-founder of the Women's Therapy Center in London and the Women's Therapy Center Institute in New York City. Additionally, she is a recipient of the first Lifetime Achievement Award given by the British Psychoanalytical Society. In this episode, Susie discusses engaging with and participating in society, emphasizing the importance of contributing to common missions and the sense of connection and meaning it brings. We also discuss the factors contributing to the decline of these values the shift towards competition rather than collaboration, the influence of the era she grew up in in terms of her own social activism, as well as the importance of maintaining curiosity in relationships and in life. If you're experiencing a sense of disconnection in life with society and the world around you, if you are feeling a little isolated in your own world, this episode will provide you with plenty to contemplate regarding the potential outcomes of shifting your focus and perspectives in life to include the collective as well as the individual. Look, I found this conversation to be extremely insightful and also a conversation that gave me a lot of pause for reflection on my own approach to life. So I'm sure you're going to take a lot from this episode. And if you enjoy this conversation, please like, share and subscribe. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, please leave a review as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 36th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. Susie, thank you very, very much for joining us on the What is a Good Life podcast today. As I mentioned just in our little preamble there, I'll become of your aware, aware of your work in this year. Uh, so I was, I was really excited to get the opportunity to speak with you today. Pleasure. <laughs> Susie, as I have a tendency to, to start these podcasts with, it is with the question of, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life? Gosh, I think that's a really interesting way to open up a conversation. <laughs> um, I'm not sure there is. I think there is when I, maybe there was when I was younger. Or maybe there is. I don't know if it's a question. It's. I think the, the puzzling thing about life is continuities and discontinuities, is that you kind of know what you're doing or you're in it and you have some kind of a base, whether it's with your family, your lover, your friends, your work, your community, and then you get disruptions and you have to think again and be open to what you can let go of in terms of your own understanding of what's what's important to you. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's a, I, think, I guess it's a continuing question. And I think for me, grappling with the demise of civil society, I know there's the inter, I know there's social media, but to me, that is a different place. And I think trying to understand what's happened and how to live with the kind of constraint and hate and um, belligerence that is now really promoted in our culture, by particularly by politicians um, and you know, they're fig leaf for corporate powers, aren't they? So um, 
And the way that has, has dissembled and cut up society is so problematic that that's the kind of thing I'm always struggling with, I guess, to, to answer. Yeah, that, well, that's a, it's a big question, isn't it? It's, uh, when you just said there as well, not only the demise of society, but the constraint of society, in, in, what, uh, in what sense do you, do you kind of mean constraint? Well, I think we all meet constraints in terms of what we're offered as, I mean, I like to be somebody who's contributing. I don't want to be somebody who's passively being fed stuff the whole time. And I feel that's a constraint. How do you even participate at a political level when you've got a Suella Braverman, where you've got, you know, racists who are running this country i mean how do you how do you participate how do you contribute how do you feel part of something that is being represented in a way in which you find abhorrent and appalling so that's a restraint that's a constraint on my humanity you know i'm you know, I think we're all, well, many of us are constrained, and then we have a smaller life as a result. How do you uh, how do you balance that? Because I, it's almost this. When I hear that, I kind of think of the sense of how small the world can make us feel sometimes, like um, you know, or how not not small, but even in effect, like, do I even want to? engage with this society yeah i think if i were younger i might not but because i grew up at a time where engagement was part of what we did it doesn't i don't experience engagement being on social that that yeah yeah. right whereas i do know it is a form of engagement but it's not right for my for me and i'm sure i spend much more time doing I don't know, doing ordinary sort of, not ordinary, because ordinary things are lovely. Um, But I'm sure I spend lots of time playing words with friends or spelling bee in a way that I just wouldn't have have years ago, really. When you say the the demise of society, like the, the sense of I don't know, like just how, how have you throughout your life then how, how have you kind of noticed the change or even then noticed the change in your engagement with what you're perceiving, what you're experiencing from, from well, your Well, of course, part of it is age as well, isn't it? It's not just the period of, of um, we're living with. But I suppose I grew up at a time when I thought the world was going to get better and that my generation was going to be part of that. And indeed, we were. We opened up a lot of things, really a lot of things. But then we had a then the 19, end of the 1970s happened with Thatcher here and Reagan in America. And the whole, just as we were trying to find a way of engaging, you know, we'd be with uh, all the liberation struggles, we got, we got the most appalling kind of practices, which meant that no longer was it okay to live in a council house. You know, no longer was there money for the councils to keep up estates in a good way. The schools were in difficulty. All of the, you know, money was removed from cultural activities. 
uh, welfare became an insult. I mean, it's, it's, and so when I think about, so then we had to protest not to open things up, but to fight for the things that were now being taken away. And that's yeah. a different kind of thing. And it didn't get a lot better, right? And then we were sort of, those of us who were involved in feminism were sold women's power back in the form of girl power and, and um, you know, big shoulders, which had nothing to do with and having it all, which was nothing that we wanted, right? Because we were having a critique of, of being at the office at 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. or whatever it was and having children and lovers and negligee and, you know, that who, would get, who gave a shit about that? So I think it's been such a retrenchment that we've had to fight all the time. And um, now anybody can do anything and be anything, but does it matter? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a, now everyone can be anything they want to be, but does it matter? Do you do you see this as a as a loss of values and says like like I, I you know I'm, I'm always kind of reticent to go back to a golden age right right yeah it because wasn't golden it wasn't golden. no 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 and I I know that's not what you're suggesting here but even oh, myself because well, when I when I think of now it it was it, there was a sense of ordinary decency now class society being what it is there were so many constraints right for yeah. For, of people because class really operated at such a profound level it still does it just it's just in different forms um there wasn't a golden age but there was a sense that of reliability or that we were all part of a, a vaguely similar conversation right, right. Yeah. whereas when i turn on the telly now and i see people watching other people watching television and then having a con I think like what the hell <laughs> like, okay call me Rick call me an old lady which I am no no yeah well maybe like well I'm nearly 40 but maybe I'm older beyond my years but I I very much I get that how, how do you how do you kind of not fall into a sense of I don't know. For me, I'm asking even this question myself, like, how do I not fall into a sense of judgment or how do I kind of not pull myself out from society too much that I'm no longer an active participant? And I know, look, tons of the work that you've done that clearly you're still, a, you know, you're still contributing um, to, you know, to giving voice to, to your expression, expression of your own essence and what contribution that will have. But I, I just mean, like, how do you, do you, do you try to balance that, or do, does a lot of the, does some of this give you a sense of despair? I mean, I'm sure if you spoke to my friends and the people next to me, you know, they'd say, "Oh, she has to have a rant about this or that or the other." But you know, we're all ranting, and then we yeah. get on, we eat our meals, or go to the theatre, or make our contribution in the ways that we can, or play with our grandkids or children or whatever. So, I mean, yeah. We have a rant. <laughs> yeah. In in terms then of just even from the perspective then of if you had, uh, if like what do you think is at play for a deterioration, even from your, even from a psychological perspective, like how, how do you kind of chart the, the descent from more decency? Well, I think if you don't have a, a notion of society as being 
something you're all participating in, then you have a notion of only the individual. And only the individual means you're out for yourself. And then you're very vulnerable to support or to be tempted by the value system that comes from drug cartels or the mafia. But not you're not that corrupt. But, you know, there's, there's the idea of you get ahead. You, you promote your kids as best you can. You do, you do what is best for you, which is, of course, what everybody wants to do. But there's psychologically, there's such a sense of, of bullying in society. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it's bullying, but it doesn't look like competition, but it is an exclusion. And, you know, class society is terrible for everybody, mainly for the people um, who suffer most within it, which are people who are dispossessed and, and who are struggling. But competition as a way of, of living, as the thing that drives you, I think is pretty lousy too, psychologically. Yeah, yeah I, I think that there's... Um, it, it's strange how these things have kind of become a a religion in ways like competition or even so like even the idea of perpetual self-improvement or perpetual growth in GDP. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the biggest industries, uh, I mean, the guy who owns LMVH, the woman who's got 30% of L'Oreal, the fashion designers, you know, the guy who owns Zara, they are the richest people in Europe. Make no mistake, cosmetics and fashion body transformations and having them discuss the food industry, they are the ones who are pushing individuals to transform themselves rather than transform society after they've dumped all this shit into it. And they are the richest people and that is what we're supposed to aspire to? No, no, thank you very much, no. You know, I've, I've heard you talk before about our, uh, our almost addiction or attachment to perfectionism um, not just even in terms of uh, our our body image and things like this, but also even just at, at the cost of our own self-acceptance or our own peace within ourselves. How do you think, in terms of how do you think we get, like we start to cultivate some of that ourselves so we don't get caught up? Well, I think there's a difference, Mark, between excellence yeah. and perfection, right? When you do your podcast or I do therapy or I do my writing or cooking a meal, I'd like to do it as well as I can. And I'd like to be developing all the time. That seems to me a very different way of looking at things than perfection. I'm not trying to perfect something because that's a ludicrous, what is perfect? I don't, I don't really understand that. You know, we're not purring pussycats. They're perfect. You know, they don't have these issues. They look gorgeous. They smell gorgeous. They're lovely to touch or whatever, right? Yeah. Right? We're humans. We are complicated, knobbly, difficult um, people who have the desire to express ourselves. And I think expressing ourselves and come learning about the world and ourselves and how we are in it and trying to do what we can as well as we can is a much more interesting activity than perfection, frankly. 
Yeah, there's a, well, he's, he passed last year, but there's a guy called Ramdas who I always enjoyed listening to. And he, he talked about the, the idea of when we walk through a forest, we're not looking at trees going, that one's too tall, too short, too fat. You know, Correct. that one doesn't have enough leaves. And there is, I don't know, there is something about this investigation or my own lines of self-inquiry where I'm trying to balance that, I, that sense of how can I evolve just with my own essence and my own curiosities rather than, I don't know, trying to press something on top of that development. Yeah, that's a really lovely image because we're all trees and as we know, trees are interconnected. Yes. And what makes us interesting to the other trees is that we're different. And the thing is, of course, when we're adolescents, we all want to be the same. But then the minute we're the same, we need to differentiate. So, right, it, it's, it, we, we have to be part of something and feel accepted so that we can actually be the tree that we are with the other trees. But the point is that industries that are so profitable want to tell us that we should all look exactly like a birch tree of yeah. a particular type. And you're right. It's a great image that um, he had. And it's it just drives people crazy, literally crazy. But it almost, and when you said that, it made me think of the idea of when we, when we try to present our uniqueness in the form of competition, like being yeah. you know the best yeah. birch tree for example because that's what the that's that's a template that we've been set that's where we kind of drive ourselves to a sense of despair well, i think if we all have to be elon musk god forbid right it's which is what's held up as as a kind of heroic figure now and how how would you then kind of how would you kind of categorize your ability then to you know as someone with an, like, you know, I don't want you to, you don't have to speak on this, but your own objective sense of success and your own striving for, for excellence um, or move, movement towards excellence rather than perfection. How, how would you kind of, like, how would you, would there, were there things that happened along the way that opened I that space up to you? what happened along the way was when I was a teenager, there was, Black Power, then, then there was the Vietnam War, then there was Women's Liberation. I was grew up at that time. So it wasn't about individual accomplishment, right? It really, really yeah. wasn't. I do understand the difference about because I because I grew up in that moment. My whole cohort grew up in that moment. And I was really surprised to have success. I mean, I had success on the back of creating a women's therapy center in 1976 with my best friend, Louise Eichenbaum, and developing theories together. I wrote a book that had phenomenal success very early on. So that was really, I mean, it was also confusing to me because I had a certain purchase that I didn't understand that I had, or I did understand and I didn't like it, and I also did like it. I mean, it's... I don't think those things are, are, are quite so straightforward, really. And um, But I never saw it as it was mine at that point. I, I, I mean, once you've done something, which, which I did with Louise and did individually, then you know you have the capacity to make other contributions. But we didn't know that before we did it. Yeah, it's... 
this idea of growing up at a time where you're mentioning um, all these various movements and then the almost like the shaping or the molding of of what's important. It, it yeah. sounds, it sounds absolutely beautiful. In terms it was of great, Mark. And also when I came back to live in England and, and we created the Women's Therapy Centre in 76, it just wasn't possible to find therapy at all. It was all hidden behind closed doors. And if you found it, it was very marked by patriarchal values and class assumptions and racist assumptions. So the fact that we created a women's therapy center, and we of course got criticized, like, what are you doing? And I'd say, well, Tavistock doesn't say, this will renormalize you. I mean, <laughs> you know, it doesn't say therapy for white people who want to want to be renormalized, right? Didn't, whereas yeah. we, so, it, it it meant that we didn't, the things that we were bringing out about the relationship between psyche and social could be talked about. And finally, my field is now talking about that, finally. Yeah. Um, but that's taken a very long time. And still most training programs have a, have a, a, a lecture or two on women. And if you're lucky, maybe one or two on black people. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe one on class, probably not. Maybe one on gay culture. I mean, no, where did, where did psychoanalysis come from? How is it situated culturally? Why why did it arise at the point? Why is it so popular? You know, none of the sort of cultural questions that you might want your trainees to understand. I remember reading a, a paper by, I think it was Joe uh, Heinrich, who who has this thing of weird people, you know, that acronym, um, Western educated, industrialized, rich or developing and just how much of the, the under or how much of this, the, this, the participants in these studies were, were from Western and white cultures and the kind of the, the universal ideas or assumptions we're thinking we're making about human beings when there's very little diversity in the pool originally. Yeah, the thing, then the thing that's so damn interesting, or has been so interesting, is that having a women's therapy centre where people had never been to therapy before, and they came from Belfast, they came from Dublin, they came from Saudi Arabia, they came from working class communities in London, and they came from feminist communities. I mean, they came from everywhere, was... I didn't know a lot of the, that stuff. I mean, I didn't know. And the whole thrill of being a therapist is you get to learn. Your mind yeah. really opens up if you don't impose. Your job is to be interested and curious. So I got to learn some, some things about how, how people's minds raised in this situation, how they are. I mean, not, I didn't get to know, I mean, Psychoanalysis is is an in-depth research project, if you want to think about it that way, instead of a taking a cohort. So yeah. it, that was that curiosity really an interest has always stayed with me. I think it's uh, I think this sense of curiosity, like I always think this is almost it's one of the superpowers almost in terms of like having good relationships. Like 
if if we cannot see a label like if because even sometimes in our own personal relationships we can start to label people in our lives as that's them you know this is what they stand for not even just in terms of their views but just their behaviors correct and then if we can think oh i wonder why and then actually if we can engage with them as opposed to locate them and freeze them in that yeah that's 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 a really nice way of putting it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, they definitely hard if it's it's been a long relationship. But the the sense though there as well of like just this, um, I don't know. It's it's like we almost have this like we almost have this fear of finding out that we're not perfect. Like you know, it, it, that we that we can't like just allow. I think when we go on our own journey as well and even start to reflect a little bit more on ourselves, it's like, oh wow, I am. <laughs> I, I'm I a, a wonderfully, yeah. I'm a wonderfully flawed creature. Like, you know, and you know, not in this like self-critical uh, way, but just like, wow, I'm I seem to be trying pretty hard, but yet I've I've repeated this mistake again. How how bloody interesting! Like, and and I think when we can kind of just recognize that, when we can go a little bit more curious or deeper with people, it, it's it's a really it's a really wonderful way to open up a relationship. Absolutely. Again. Susie, just in, intrigued with when you when you think about society even moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> sorry to go there. Sorry to go there. Yeah, of course we should go there. But but just in the sense then of like what what do you think can play a role in in bringing kind of some cohesiveness to us again? Like, I you know I'm really ignorant about that because I'm not the right generation to understand that. I really am not. And I know that there are people your age and younger who are optimistic about connections and thinking things through. And it's very, very clear that people who've been on the margins can make enormous changes, um, whether it's around the, the... environment, whether it's around racism, whether it's around sexualities and gender, all of that, whether whether there's the same kind of interest around capital and how how one deals with late capitalism, I think is another question. But I'm really, I'm I'm too old to answer that question about where that's the strength of that protest can come from. You know, um, just as as I mentioned, when I when I typically go through these interviews, I have a, a question at the end, which is is what is a good life for you? And just based on what we've been saying in terms, or what you've been discussing in terms of the well, you probably know better than than I do because I've just been talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but even the sense then of like a, a good life being some sort of social cohesion, like some community, some connection with some people, connection, common... and therefore it might be quite small, or it might be an identification with struggles all over the world right that i'm not personally involved with but i feel connected to when i call me old-fashioned when i open my new york times or my guardian as opposed to social media Um, but it's also having decent connections in my life of people who help me and i help them i struggle with them they struggle with me you know People are so damn interesting and so rich and caring and thoughtful, you know, that uh, besides the horror of 
a kind of mafioso, um, macho politics and personas, you know, there's the person who comes to help you clear your garden who's absolutely lovely, right? And is a decent person, right? So, I mean, I'm always having those encounters. And I think that's a pleasure or transforming food is a pleasure for friends. I mean, that kind of thing. Watching good theater, watching good movies, reading good it's, books. Uh, it's, it's amazing the... Um... I think I heard once that humans are the most destructive species alive and the most altruistic uh, species alive or something to this effect. And I just, I love that sense of almost the, the, you know, the despair with the kind of the, the ways of government, the ways of corporations, and then just the idea of a neighbor who comes around and helps you out. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's all of this at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. You can have an, a normal interchange or an interchange that has integrity in it. Yeah, well, look, Susie, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed meeting you. Um, I look forward to, to continue to follow your work as well, Susie. Thank you very much thank for your time. You. Okay, Mark.